welcome everyone. Uh, some thought it would never happen. Some thought that Alex D and Alex G are actually the same person, just doing accents all the time. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, it is finally happening, happening, and it is happening right here, right now, from the Roebuck Pub in South London. We bring you the very first live episode of Troublesome Terps, the podcast about the things that keep interpreters up at night. Can we have a round of applause, please, for everyone who's joining us tonight? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's amazing to have you lovely people join us for this extra special event sponsored by Linguali and Interpreters Help. We really do want to say thank you to our sponsors and to our incredible audience, although um, we did get them to sign those waivers not to break the mystique, didn't we? What, what mystique do you mean? What do you mean? Well, now they know what our recordings look like. Oh, yeah, well, well it could be a problem though. No. Well, there's no. enough drinks to go around, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's just get on with the show, right? Yeah, that'll they work. They don't notice. Okay. Fair enough. Ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to introduce my fellow troublesome terps. You've already heard them. First off, never was there a man so dedicated to Vorsprung Deutsch Technik. It's our very own Alexander Drexel. Yeah, thank you, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and just a quick uh, technical note. I may have to roam around the room just checking the cameras from time to time, so don't be irritated by that. Uh, just want to make sure that my two lovely co-hosts look just as well on video as they do in real life. You're a man of faith. <laughs> I am. <laughs> also on the show, we have the man who didn't hear his phone until he put a ring on it. It's Alexander Gansmeyer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. But I think we all know who the Beyonce is in, <laughs> in this trio. But let's not forget the man who assures both of us that he has seen sunshine on Leith. He even walked 500 miles to get here. Jonathan Downey. <laughs> It's good to be here. It, it's, I cannot believe that the Alexes actually do both exist. That's breaking the laws of physics. Yep. <laughs> we want to thank you, the lovely audience as well, and especially give a shout out to the Roebuck, which is this wonderful place that we can be here tonight, which we came across more or less by coincidence, but we're very glad we found them. Um, as you may have noticed, as a pub, it's very focused on sustainability and community. Um, for example, about the straws you may have seen, you only get a straw when you ask for one, because, you know, think of all the oceans and fish and everything so that's good I and think. the straw men and the straw men <laughs> exactly um the roebuck also works with mencap which is a uk-based non-profit and they support um, people with learning difficulties and their families um, moving on in their lives um, the kitchen serves sustainable healthy food as you may have seen and they also have uh refilling water which is great for podcast hosting live events um the room we're in here is called the victorian lounge um, and over the years, it has not only hosted three podcasters, but supposedly also the young Charlie Chaplin, or so they say, there's a, there's a rumor floating around, and British Jazz Orchestra Loose Tubes. Anybody familiar with the Loose Tubes? I wasn't, but apparently they were a big deal. Um, so if you're a local, come back anytime, because they have great live events as well, comedy, um, spoken word, uh, pub quizzes, and so on and so forth. And just a fun fact, the Roebuck is not only the popular name for the male deer, known to experts like us as Capriolus Capriolus, right? I knew him very well. You knew him very well. It's also used by 14 different Royal Navy ships around the world that traveled as far as Australia. So thanks again to Max and the entire Roebuck team for having us. Thank you very much. 
So how this afternoon is going to work is that we're going to be starting with a little bit of an icebreaker exercise where you guys might also have to suffer with us. And <laughs> afterwards, we're going to be talking about our first topic. Then we have a short interlude with a very special guest that we're going to be introducing as and when. And afterwards, uh, you guys can grab refreshments, have a quick bathroom break, and then we go into the second topic. And we should be finished at around 6 p.m., I think. You will also around. find, uh, as I've mentioned, or as Jonathan mentioned more, so the name tags at the front. If you haven't checked in, if you're missing your goodie bag, please do come to me after the podcast. Of course, you're going to get it. And as you've seen on the tables, you will have bingo sheets. I know, what a surprise. And Jonathan will now explain okay. how those work. <laughs> yeah. So it just so happens that apparently we're slightly predictable. <laughs> so on those bingo sheets, you have a Troublesome Terps podcast bingo sheet. And you have an interpreting in the booth bingo sheet. The, for this afternoon, we're using the Troublesome Terps bingo sheet. And if you hear any of us doing saying or doing any of those things, such as Alexander Gansmeyer collapsing into giggles. <laughs> that has me, never happened. <laughs> or me saying the word controversial over and over and over again, then you mark it off. And as those who may not have played bingo know, you've got to get all of your squares and the first person to fill their entire sheet shouts, bingo! And we give you a prize. Yeah. That's right. It's very straightforward. Far more straightforward than Brexit. Oh, crap. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a freebie for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> <To> kick that. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I think we, we have a few non-interpreters in the audience, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. We're not going to out you. So <laughs> we wanted to start things off really, really simply and maybe explain our profession a little bit for those not so much in the know. What do you, yeah. what do you think? Yes. Yeah. Because I think, there's, there's this thing floating around on, on social media where you kind of badly explain your profession, and we thought we might give this a shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jonathan, do you want to kick it off? I feel like this is right up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> they do this to me on every single show. Okay, so I, I was on the, on the flight down, and I thought that the best way to explain what a conference interpreter does is I sit in a box and talk until they give me money. There you go. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I think another good, good way to describe what we do is kind of just listen to the voices in our head and obey their every command. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was actually reminded, thinking about this, of this of supposed OECD study that is floating around for decades now, I think, where apparently the job of the interpreter is just as oh, stressful right. as the jet pilot. Um, has anybody actually seen the study? Because I've, mm. it's, I think it's kind of, it's been debunked. And it's a unicorn anyway. It probably doesn't even exist. I don't know. But I'm glad to hear it's debunked. Yeah. So that, that should give people a little bit of a flavor of what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Jet pilot in a booth. Yeah. That sounds interesting. <laughs> you also sit in a box as a jet, like a, as a jet pilot, right? So. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. In a flying. Box, in a you know, if, yeah. my, if my interpreting booth ever takes off, that would be really cool, but really scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Although I must admit, there have been some meetings where I've been going, come fly away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all had this, like, this, this synchronous translation. And oh, yeah, of course. Instant translation, like instant coffee. and. So <laughs> someone thing, someone said to me, can you translate simultaneously? I said, no, I, I can't type that fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should work on your typing skills, I think. Um, oh. But it's, it's actually quite easy to annoy interpreters, right? Because we're going to be talking about this a bit later on in the mm. afternoon. It's very easy to annoy interpreters. How do you do that? Yes. I mean, you could keep them away from the buffet. That would be... A, <laughs> A very easy way to annoy interpreters. You could offer them instant coffee. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's, good. it's better than no coffee. That's true. <laughs> so. Or the, the other one is, has anyone ever had a meeting where someone puts their hand up and says, Madam Chair, I would like to ask a question. And the chair 
who's obviously not sane, says, sure, go ahead. And the person stands up with eight sheets of A4 paper written in size six font and like scans it like this. And then just when you think that everyone can go for coffee, what do they do? They rattle the sheets, turn them over and start from the back. <laughs> <laughs> that is like my number one. So I, ha I have come up with an invention that I'm going to get like a, a, a speaker electrocutor. So anyone who does that, Gets a small electric shock through their shoes. It's a bit. You could you could actually repurpose the slow button, you know, because it never works in most consoles. Oh, yeah, the slow button. No, and then it just <laughs> give it well, a zip. What happens when you press the slow button is a sound man laughs at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they even notice <laughs> at all. Um, but it, we had. Uh, by the way, we had a, another event already this morning. We, were, we went to London Met University and talked to a couple of students, which was really nice um, yeah. because they had a few interesting questions for us. But um, we did. I, there was this one thing that I wanted to mention. That what did we talk about? Oh, right, getting getting like 50 different documents the night before. That's also a good way to annoy interpreters. Yeah, that's always great. And then you had a very controversial statement because you said that maybe it's better not to look at any of it and just get a good night's <laughs> sleep instead. Well, you know, it's all about so. making sure that you get there with a, with a good night's sleep and then you can still kind of pretend that you never got the email or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or the other one, has anyone ever had an event where... It says, great, we've got free Wi-Fi here, and the Wi-Fi is free and works perfectly until you need to look up terminology. For some reason, like, your, all your terminology sites just collapse at the same time. Yeah, because it's, I think it's kind of a conflict between cyberspace and the interpreting space. I think that's what, what's happening. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> <laughs> now we got this out of the way, we can actually, you know, move to So, it. so I, I'm really interested. I, I think we should go back, because for interpreters, you've all been incredibly quiet. That's not normal for interpreters, okay? I think uh, it's because so many others interpreters are in the room. I think it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, so has, has anyone heard of interpreside? So someone's doing research oh, on the, yeah. the fear of performing in front of fellow interpreters. I was like... Think accreditation test or final exam or something. Or, or, right? or even you go into a job and someone comes up and says, yeah, um, I used to be a member of IEEK. Then you run away. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot to go into, actually. I used to be... It's actually a lot of... Anyway. <laughs> a lot to unpack there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's not unpack that. Security might come and get us. Yeah. Should we just move on to the first topic? Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Have so you. we have prepared a few topics. You, you won't have to be involved all evening, but uh, you are free to do so, of course. But um, the first topic that we, that we picked might be slightly controversial. <laughs> Hashtag controversial. Um, because we wanted to talk a little bit... Not I think, even me! <laughs> I think it's one of your favorite topics. Um, yes. And I think all of our favorite. We want to talk a little bit about client expectations. And um, actually, the, the subtitle was Lies That We Tell Clients. I mean, talking about controversial. So Very um, much, yeah. I don't know. It kind of, because we, we, of course, said the sensible thing to the students this morning is that we try to not educate, but try to inform our clients and try to give them you know, fact-based information to make uh, communication work seamlessly. But um, maybe sometimes we have to twist facts a little bit. I've never lied, but I did have one client where I managed to not look like I was angry. So um, we were doing a, a summit from the Scottish Parliament. And, you know, if you, if you want to know pressure, you have about 150 culture ministers in front of you in the debating chamber. And we were interpreting for this very well-known person in the computer games industry. And he sent an aide five minutes before his plenary saying... We've, uh, we've got his speech for you. It was in size eight, <laughs> single-spaced, 
And I had said to my booth mate, it was the first time I'd worked with this guy. He had 35 years of experience. And I said to him, look, it's a computer games guy. I've been playing com- computer games since I was four. I can interpret this guy in my sleep. I'll take his plenary. You can go for a break if you want. <laughs> his speech comes into the booth, 25-minute plenary, 15 minutes of the ancient Greek education system. <laughs> so I said, yeah, that'll be fine. Uh, you, did, you did have classics in school, didn't you? <laughs> well, sorry. Okay, you, you didn't... Classics in the west of Scotland were Robert Burns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Haggis, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we had a Scottish interpreting bingo, Haggis would be the centre yeah. square. We'll do that next time. We'll do the live event in Edinburgh. Or in Glasgow, maybe. Or in Glasgow, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, but I think sometimes it actually already starts, like those whole client expectations and the lies we tell with clients, or... I don't even know if we should call them lies. Maybe we should find a more pleasant word for that. But like sometimes it already lies. starts um, when they give the call and they're like, so we have this conference on, uh, since we've already talked about this today, on Bavarian mining law. Do you know anything about oh, that? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm an expert on the topic. Um, <laughs> but it would be really great if we could, of course, get the presentations to prepare just to make sure that we really get the message across. And... Not necessarily Bavarian mining law, but those kinds of things occur time and time again. Like, do you know, like, are you good with this topic? And I think it's sure. always up to, yeah, and it's usually like, oh, sure, yeah, we're very comfortable with that. We're all-rounders, like, we can always find our way into any topic. But I think um, it's not necessarily, I think it's not a lie. I think we're just comforting the client. We're just reassuring them that they're in good hands yeah. uh, because we know that eventually they will be. I think in that instance, though, it's mostly up to you to make sure that you actually got this. Like, don't say, sure, we got this. If you know, like, oh, this is actually legal. I have no idea about any of that stuff. So yeah. then probably it's a good idea to not do that. I, I did have one client come up to me and say, so how long have you been in the explosives industry? <laughs> hmm. Well, you're interpreting is well, the problem. <laughs> but it, it, it's one of these things where you, you have to look professional no matter what. And sometimes you can just say to clients, I'm a really good researcher. Other times you have to go, well... Depending on the quality of the brief, we could do a really good job here. So you're just placing the blame squarely on the client. Yeah. Uh, this is why I have a standard brief, because That's right, yeah. um, I, I arrived at a wood economy job. Has anyone ever interpreted on the economics of wood? I think I yeah, have. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Serious. I didn't realize there were wood economists. I, I didn't even realize that branch existed. Yeah. <laughs> Insert your... Uh, long de bois joke here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll insert the rim shot but, later. <laughs> exactly. It's going into the final yeah, edit. So, so we, we did this wood economy job. I, I did this wood economy job because the agency lied. Has anyone ever had an agency lie to them? Yeah, there'll be two interpreters there and you turn up and you're the only person there. There'll be equipment there, right? Oh no, you're fine with a day and a half of shushotage on your own, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and again, it's a dying swan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually, I was I was going to get to that because that's one one of the things that we mentioned with the students this morning is there's there's this image of the swan, where you're mm. like beautiful, you know, up here, and you're kind of paddling um, for dear life frantically down there. Yeah, um, but I think I think what the client wants is is the swan. They don't want the paddling. They want the swan. Yeah. and the poker face. I guess <laughs> they want the poker face. face. I would do want the poker but face. But since you just mentioned that brief, maybe we should start at the very beginning and talk a little bit about what why clients book interpreters because they don't necessarily only book interpreters for enabling communication Ooh. sometimes they just you know i mean that happens in my interpreting space sorry <laughs> <laughs> they just want someone to be in the booth so it looks nice you know that kind of thing 
I, I don't, does that ever happen on the private market, though? I pr- I pr- uh, yeah? Okay. Uh, good. Uh, I don't know if I should be relieved have, right now. But. Have you ever had a sit there and look pretty job? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> so I'm not sure I would be very we, good we, at that. We, we had another one of these summits at the Scottish Parliament, and they had booked something like 16 interpreters over four languages. And we were in the middle of one of the plenaries and we were off duty that plenary and I I sat sat next to my boothmate and I went, can you see anyone with a headset on? And he went, hold on, let me see. And he gets up and we were at the back of the the debating chamber. So he does a kind of, um, kind of prairie dog thing of, (laughs) (laughs) oh look. And, And he said, the only person who's got a headset on is the presiding officer. And I think that's just so she can hear people. We probably just checking on you, yeah. So there are 16 of us here. And how many people are listening? And he went, don't tell the client. <laughs> that's right. So th- there are jobs where... So in my PhD thesis, I call that symbolic interpreting. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh, that's a nice way of <laughs> phrasing it, instead of being... So... Are we going to go into my PhD thesis? We no, might well. not, so, not yet. <laughs> not, <laughs> not yet, no. <laughs> okay, keep it quick. But, but there are three sets of client expectations. There is symbolic interpreting where they see you as valuable, but you're not really necessary. Then there's the most common, which is called incidental interpreting, which is the sit there and talk type of interpreting, mm-hmm. where they don't see you as very valuable, but they kind of have to have you. So just get on. You know the clients who say, just just say what the person says and don't bother us? Mm. Incidental interpreting. And then occasionally, yeah. out of nowhere, like the sun shining on a wet Glasgow day, you have... <laughs> That's not a thing, though. It is a thing. I got sunburned once. <laughs> or was that frostbite? I can't remember. <laughs> Um, you, you have integral interpreting, which is where they see you as valuable for their future and necessary. Yeah. And those clients invariably want you to work as their partner. So they come up to you and say things like, I really don't want to upset the French delegation. Is this joke going to be okay? <laughs> or I really do want to upset the German delegation. How do I do that? <laughs> and, and, and those kind of clients are amazing. I had one uh, integral interpreting client where... I helped them win a multi-million pound deal and the CEO came up to me at the end and they said, you know, I speak French and I understood everything. I just didn't have a clue what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Which in a business negotiation is quite common. No one does. We know all about negotiations where no one knows anything that's going on. But um, (laughs) if we go back to to the first thing, so you said not necessary but valuable. So would that include the situation that we also discussed this morning, I think, where you're not really interpreting from one language to another, but you're kind of interpreting globish or bad English into Mm. something that somebody can listen to for a longer amount of time? Well, the the point of symbolic interpreting is if you took the interpreters away, the clients would understand you anyway. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, If the clients would understand each other... So, for example, if the interpreters could go on strike and no one knew you were on strike... You've got symbolic interpreting. If they go on strike and everyone's going, where's the little man in my headset or the little lady in my headset gone? Yeah. Then you The box put, is not working. The box is not working. <laughs> if I shake it hard enough. Yeah. yeah. Then you've got incidental or integral interpreting. But mm. I think sometimes the lines are kind of blurred, aren't they? Because yeah. just a, f- a few weeks ago, I went to the trade fair and I had a job there and we didn't really see the audience. So we didn't really know if somebody was listening. Mm. And eventually we kind of became friends out of necessity with the hostess that actually handed out the, re- <laughs> the, the, the receivers. And we were like, can you let us know if anybody's actually listening and kind of like give us a little warning sign? And so basically the first two days we were interpreting without knowing if anybody was actually listening or not. But it actually happened 
we found out later that on the first day nobody was listening the second day mm. they were basically li listening the whole time and then the third day there was sort of a mix yeah so like on the first day we could have gone on a strike nobody would have noticed the second day people would have really or did really depend mm. on us and so so, so I, the lines I, blur i looked at it from the point of view of client expectations i surveyed clients i interviewed them i watched their reactions to interpreters and the funny thing that i found is that clients just start off with incidental interpreting if when they saw interpreters working like partners they completely changed their minds mm. so in the middle of an interview you would start with you know uh, describe your ideal interpreter and they would describe like a robot yeah, walking just see what I, what the person <laughs> said, said yeah. uh, and then you say to them things like so if the speaker says something offensive what should the interpreter do and they're like does that ever happen <laughs> and now when I was interviewing them I couldn't say yes whenever there's an American speaking <laughs> <laughs> That won't go in the final cut, will it? No, we'll <laughs> cut all of this out. <laughs> no, but so so the point is that I looked at it from the point of view of clients, and there is good evidence in the literature, in the literature, that clients' expectations can shift. The warning bell is, though, I've not yet found a trace in any research of clients who started off symbolic going anywhere else. We've got traces of clients who started off without robot mode suddenly going, please help us and be our partners. That that we've found cases of. Hmm. But once they get to symbolic, it just seems like they stick there. Yeah. I don't know why. But since you mentioned French, I, I've had this situation sometimes that um, people, you know, the, the, the event is just moving along fine. Everybody's just just working with English. And then the French delegation stands up, you know, everybody's <laughs> frantically looking yeah, for that. And, the right yeah, yeah. and then I think that I always see that as a challenge because then I, I try to, you know, you know, push on the pedal just a little bit more to keep them hooked, as it were. Mm -hmm. And some of them will keep the headphones on, which is nice. Yeah. That's kind of a, a challenge then to but keep I, them engaged. I think especially, uh, and let me know if this is true for the both of you as well, but I find that especially in Germany, a lot of people would want to have the interpretation, but if the conference language is English, and especially if you're there with colleagues, they're just too ashamed to actually grab. No, it's, this is actually <laughs> yeah. a thing. That is true. Like yeah. they don't want to yeah. have other people know that you don't speak English at this level, that you're not comfortable listening to everything. And then eventually this kind of incident where somebody speaks with a heavy accent or speaks a different language, yeah. that kind of gives them the impetus to or finally excuse, put on, maybe. yeah, to like an, <laughs> yeah. like an excuse. And then they yeah. actually put on the headsets and they never put them off. And I think, mm. I don't know, there's kind of a, but it goes both ways. I mean, it works for speakers as well. There is this kind of expectation in some events that, of course, you speak English, and of course, you have the you you give the talk or the presentation in English. Yeah, and so. everyone regrets it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, Has anyone, including the interpreters. So I I had an event on the construction industry. There was eight of us on the job, and there were some Italian speakers who decided that they would speak their best version of English. Mm. <laughs> Let's not. But so what happened is um, a lot of these companies had booked expensive stands at the event. And after they'd heard these two guys do their best 16th language English, no one went to their stand. They were just like, don't want to talk to you. The next Italian guys who were up after lunch looked around and went, that didn't work. So they spoke in brilliant Italian, which the Italian booth then rendered into amazing English. Mm. And we took really, and I kid you not, they got a standing ovation at the end of their talk. And you could not get to their stand afterwards. So now whenever I write a book, I'm like, write that incident down. Um, and I think we have to realize that we complain about Globish and speakers using 15th language English. But there is a prestige thing. And if we can convince them that they're actually more prestigious, being beautiful in their own language and trusting us to be beautiful as well, because, you know, we are artists, then... <laughs> 
See, I, I say that my favourite people to interpret for are really arty film directors. They're amazing. Um, Does that make you an artist as well, though? <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> anyway. So I, I, one day I'm going to write a book called Interpreting as Performance. But yeah. anyway. Well, That's the next before book. that, everybody can copy your first book and then move on to the second <laughs> See, book. See, right? I didn't even mention it this time. Nah, yeah. Well, we're well, just we'll trying to get to cover it. Yeah. No, but I actually have another really interesting uh, client who... Um, because you were mentioning the standing ovation thing after the interpreter rendered it into wonderful English in that instance. But I have a client who doesn't want the... Uh, so there's this really um, special presenter that they invited to a conference last year. And we actually recommended very, very, very much so that this would be a simultaneous job. Mm. That one part of the, of the conference, because the rest of the conference was simultaneous. But that one particular part was consecutive. And we said, well, this could also be done simultaneously. It would be much better. You would save a lot of time. It would get a lot more emotion across. Everybody who understands English anyways wouldn't have to hear everything twice. And he said, no, I need the people to hear her voice without being filtered through an interpreter, even if they don't understand it, I need the emotion of her voice mm. to carry. And that's okay. why all of that was done consecutively. So I think, so, yeah, and I think mm. I thought that was a very special um, instance and kind of a, an interesting requirement. Yeah. Has anyone else ever done short consecutive on stage with the speaker? Put your hands up. Yeah, that, that's where I first interpreted. My first ever interpreting job was in front of 200 French teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, yeah. I, what I, was the noise level like? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, okay. was a, it was a church youth conference in Dunkirk. If anyone knows Dunkirk, not the easiest French to get used to. Um, I'd been there a couple of months and they said, you know, because I'd interpreted for like 15 minutes in the main street of Brighton the year previously. Um, and they said, look, would you like to do all of the French to English interpreting on stage for this conference? I'd had no training. All I knew was that I'd seen interpreters work and I loved it and I wanted to do it. And it was crazy because it was a Pentecostal church and Pentecostal preachers are not known for their calmness, <laughs> quietness. You mean they're quite engaging speakers? Yeah, they, they also have a habit of not finishing sentences. Oh. <laughs> Which is, I mean, French to English, you can kind of get away with that. I really feel sorry for anyone who has to do that into German. That's impossible. <laughs> you don't finish yeah. a sentence, the German interpreters find you and hunt you down. Yeah. But I mean, coming back to the whole client relationship, what, what do you do when you, when you don't have direct access to the, to the real client? So when there's an agency in between or some kind of, I don't know, event agency? Or is that a, an issue to... When you don't have the direct contact to the client, or does it usually work well? Like for getting preparation material, have, uh, that kind of thing. Hmm. Well, I think from the interpreter side, if there's an agency between, you can get a little bit rougher with them because they're kind of used to it anyway. So you can just say, you know, you Define can rough. be a little bit uh, firm, let's say firm. Okay. Demanding. Um, whereas if you're, say again? Demanding. Demanding, that's okay. right. Um, I need coffee in the venue. <laughs> I think that ties actually into our second topic, right? Okay. <laughs> no, but um, I think if you're dealing with the, with the direct client and you intend to keep that client, then you should always have like a certain amount of diplomacy, whereas with the agency, it's kind of like their job, and that's why right. they also get a part of the cut okay. um, to kind of make it easier for you. And then if they don't do the job, then, you know, kind of what are they doing instead of the, just the, the other th The other thing I've found is if you take, if you get agencies out of trouble, they're really nice to you afterwards. <laughs> so I have a couple of agency clients who now pay me more money because I saved their rear ends a few times. They're like, your next job is a really complicated. Would you like to be paid more money? And I went, yeah, okay. And I just forgot to put my <laughs> rates back down. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it's one of these things where I would never, ever, 
ever suggest that we break our kind of standards. But there are times where you arrive at an event and you realize that, you know, the equipment's not as good as it could be, or there was one recently where there was a mix-up as to what language interpreters they actually needed. So mm. they, they sent Spaniards when they needed... They sent Italians when they needed Spaniards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's almost the same language anyway. I mean. Actually, that happened to me as well. They, they booked us. They initially booked two booths, so the German and the Italian, and then they cancelled the Italian when they meant to cancel the German. But nobody, re nobody noticed <laughs> until we actually got there, and then the guy actually looked at us and he was like, you sure you can't do Italian? And we were like, pretty sure. Thanks well, for asking, so, though. So, so that job, what my Spanish mates did, and they were superb, is the, the same man who is a genius worked with them, and they, did, they split a double booth into two single booths with like a fake divider. And they had one interpreter taking the Italian, turning it into English, while the other interpreter took the English and turned it into Spanish. Oh, wow. Wow. Might as well. Sorry, are you? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll go. No, you can finish. <laughs> so, yeah. No one ever lets me finish on this book. Yeah, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> we need to say something. Yeah, we need to apologize. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just, just reminded of this, again, the story that I told earlier this morning when we had, um, we had a meeting where, the, where there was no Portuguese, but there was a Portuguese delegate. Um, and then they did this apparently frequent thing where they tried to fake Spanish. So they, they spoke Spanish, but it was actually more like Portuguese. Um, and then the Spanish booth helped us out by putting it into proper Spanish. And then <laughs> we could, you know, work from there. So that was nice. Not, yeah, that's really nice. Not quite the textbook definition of interpreting, but... Um, yeah, but that's actually one of my pet peeves. I mean, I, I, li I like what you said, <laughs> that um, when you're there at the at on-site and you realize something's actually not the way that it's supposed to be, don't lower your standards. But if you can still do a good job, like, yeah. just do it. Just suck it up and do the job and then mm. complain about it afterwards to your organizer, your agency, or whoever, and make sure that it doesn't happen again. But if you're able to perform well on site, even though it's not how you would like it to be, mm. just do it this once and make sure it doesn't happen again. But I hate when people actually show up and then they just keep complaining like for hours. And I'm just like, I know it's less than ideal, but just yeah. do it. So you didn't get to the buffet first. but Yeah, exactly. Sorry, the water's tepid rather than ice cold. <laughs> That's kind of our next subject, actually. Yeah. But I mean, one of the one of the topics we've got here, which is an interesting topic, I'm not saying the C word, is should we come clean about how messy interpreting is? Because most clients think that we just turn up, talk, and it's amazing. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I want clients to see how much we've sweated that day. Mm. There, there are times, I mean, I, has anyone else had a speaker where the regulations, what, 20, 30 minute shifts? There was one speaker that I was interpreting for where my booth mate and I alternated every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Wow. He was a French architect who believed that he was the next great philosopher. <laughs> so we, 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 we weren't just getting the beauty and the meaning of architecture, we were getting the philosophy of architecture. And by the end of it, both of us were going, please be the finance talk next. Please be the finance talk. <laughs> a little brief. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah. Go. No, I think you're right, though, because sometimes, especially, and I like those instances when you do consecutive. I usually am not a big fan of consecutive, as I'm sure a lot of us aren't. But I like that you're present and the client actually sees what you're doing. And just the other week, uh, just the other day, actually, this week, at a consecutive job, like an evening affair, and... Uh, I was literally sweating because you were standing there and there were like bright lights and you were standing there, you were running around the entire time, hovering at the table, helping out here, helping out there. And then also at the end of it, doing like consecutive, like proper consecutive shifts. And I was drenched. I was like worn out by the end of the night. It was totally fine because um, that's the job in, in that instance. But then the client came up and he was like, you're really working. And I'm like, no joke. <laughs> Seriously. 
Go do, figure. Yeah. Do, do, do you ever sweat in the European institutions? No. No. <laughs> no, of course not. no. What else is he going to say? <laughs> uh, 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 apart from when you see the words UKIP on the speaker's list. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, well, I think if it's about GDPR, it's also quite hairy, isn't it? <laughs> the G, yeah, the GDPR, Hashtag is, GDPR. Is, is a very sweaty, <laughs> sticky topic. Kind of. oh. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you guys if you have, um, um, sort of when the whole thing is over, do you have a routine that you go through with clients or with some clients to follow up, you know, things that didn't work? Or maybe just pointing out things that, that work well and thanking them for them? Or? I tried for a while. I've talked about this at the last bar camp. We had like mm. a session. Um, if you guys don't know, Alex and I also organized like a little together with those two lovely ladies, Leonie and Sonia, and Woo-hoo. a whole host of other fabulous colleagues in Germany who organized a, a, a bar camp, which is basically interpreters putting on workshops for interpreters. Um And we had a session on feedback, on client feedback, on feedback that you get from the clients, but also feedback that you give the clients. And usually I find that we get no feedback except for on site, kind of like. Well done. And that's pretty, yeah. If you even be able to do what you do. That kind of thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of okay. thing as well. How do you do it? And the usual answer is kind of like black magic. <laughs> but um, you, you were amazing. Voodoo. You were amazing. The last interpreters didn't know any of the terminology. <laughs> hmm. I had that once. Yeah. They, they were so amazed that we actually spent the time learning the terms yeah. that when no one was looking, they slipped us a bonus. <laughs> wow. No one was looking. <laughs> they tipped the interpreters. The interpreter, I was out there by myself. Oh, wow. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so my, my routine after that job, go home, find a pillow, fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, but I so Self-care. so I had like a, a standardized ritual where I actually sent the clients a feedback form, mm. and I was like, especially for the ones that I actually um, organize conferences for, because I, sometimes I organize larger conferences with a bunch of booths, and then I say, so I had like all these categories like uh, ease of kind of ease of use, so like how easy was it to communicate? Is there anything that I could improve? How happy were you with those languages? Did you get any feedback on those languages? And literally one person. One person within an entire year. I know, right? Um, Everybody loves feedback forms. Yeah, and the thing is too, like one of those, the the one person, she's one of our oldest clients and she just said, you're doing amazing. Everything you do is great. We love you so much. Come back soon. And I was like, well, that's really helpful. I do appreciate it, but you know. Yeah, it's flattering, but it's yeah, not it's very flattering, but yeah, yeah, and so I just stopped doing that now. So I don't know if you so guys ever done that. If you'd asked the researcher, we would have told you that clients are rubbish at filling in feedback forms. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. I can now confirm that yes. from practice. <laughs> so I have a, a a routine that normally I'll be on the train or the bus home, and I'll just send a quick email to the client mm. and just really quickly. <clears throat> and sometimes you have to be careful what you email on the train home because it can still be raw. Sometimes, like you're. <laughs> But it was a lovely job apart from that. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I, I tend to just send an email on the way home. And also things like um, part of my routine is being able to divorce myself from what happened that day. Yeah. Because if you get home and your head's still buzzing and you get home, I have four children under the age of seven. So I'm not going home to a quiet house. Yeah, talking about buzzing, right? <laughs> so if I go home and my head's still in interpreting and I literally have two girls trying to climb up my legs, <laughs> it's not going to work very well. Yeah. That's well, we, true. We, we did cover this this morning as well. So, so trying to take care of yourself um, yeah. and not trying to take too much home, I guess. Too much, yeah, don't too beat much yourself baggage. up if, yeah. if stuff goes wrong because stuff will go wrong. But I think, as I've mentioned earlier, make sure it doesn't happen the next time if it's kind mm. of within... Mm. Anything that you can influence, if it's just the speaker reading stuff off for like two hours, then there's not much you can do. But yeah. just pull the plug. Um, we have a little 
surprise prepared in a few minutes. Behave, Jonathan. Um, before that, any any closing remarks on the whole client thing? So we, it turns out we are actually quite straightforward and honest with our clients. Aren't yeah, we? I, and we probably should be. <laughs> it just kind of works out better most of the times. Yeah. And I also think that if if you've made a mistake and it's really you that made the mistake, I think you really just should kind of own up to it as well. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's uncomfortable, because then I find I've found that that actually makes the client trust you more because even if you screw up, like you're still honest with them. It depends on what happened and it also depends on how you sell it, but I still think that that's the way to go. I mean, one thing that I would say about client expectations is that I would like to end on just a little thing of let's not ever think that if we have a bad client, we're stuck with them. Or if I've heard people say, oh, in my market, the rates are going down. That was happening. I mean, in Scotland you can be six months between interpreting jobs sometimes. And I realized that when the market isn't as friendly as it could be, you have two options. You can either go, oh, clients are mean and horrible and they should be nicer and I'm going to go on Twitter and Facebook and tell everyone how rubbish clients are, blah, blah, blah. Or you can pack a little suitcase, go to a trade show and find some new ones. Mm. Um, I was having a chat with Henry Liu, who used to be the head of FIT, and he and I agree that the only growth market left for interpreting is the people who, who currently don't know that we exist. So the, the people who are going to be hiring us most in five years' time are the people who today don't can't even spell interpreter. Sometimes mm. I can't either. But, you know, it's... Th let's think creatively about clients and think, well, what kind of companies might need us that don't even know we exist. And you, when you've helped a client win a multi-million pound deal, you can have a lot more interesting conversations with them. Of course, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um. So, guys, welcome back to the second part of the podcast. Um, we are going to continue with um, our next topic, which is don't be a diva. We've talked about that about a year and a half ago, I think. Do you, do you get the irony of three blokes sitting here saying don't be a diva? No, well, yeah, no. but we do have Beyonce with us, so it's fine. Oh, right. yeah. I, I thought the irony was you saying don't be a diva. <laughs> <laughs> I have no I, idea what I, you mean. I, I was reading the room, and when, when Alex said don't be a diva, all of his colleagues were going, did he just say that? <laughs> That's like the Pope saying don't be a Catholic. <laughs> takes one to know one, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, we're, this is going to be our next topic. Don't be a diva. Um, it's just kind of the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and Alex is already turning off my microphone. I can see. Yeah. <laughs> That's just it. Just ready to turn it off. Yeah. Um, so on that topic, because it's definitely a topic that we know for a fact everybody can relate to. If you guys have any good sh stories to share, any funny anecdotes about any sort of diva antics you've seen, you'll also get a goodie bag. So you don't have to jump right in. We, we're happy to warm you up a bit, but we expect some good stories because we know that a lot of you have a lot of great stories that just, you are just, just dying thing. to share. Yeah, since, since we have Mr. Int Hush in the room, you, they should, oh, yeah. of course, probably be an anonymized and, or pseudonym, pseudonymized. Or what do you yes, call that? Yes, it's always John and Jane Smith. Yes. Yeah. John and Jane Smith. Okay. So, I mean, I, I would like to start with a really funny anti-diva story. Um, I was doing an interpreting job when the Dutch interpreters, the agency just couldn't find any Dutch simultaneous interpreters anywhere <laughs> in the UK. Hmm. So they sent court interpreters. 
And the court, they, they seem to manage the first session, and then we break for lunch. And the, the buffet was all laid out, and these two interpreters came up to me and said, can we eat the food? <laughs> and I said, yes, just don't get any on your suit, not that anyone will notice. At least they didn't say, can we eat the president or something. Like that. <laughs> I said, yeah, go eat the food. They said, because in court, we think we've done well if we get a, a, an old sandwich. It's like, well, we're not in court anymore. Come and eat the food. That's so, so sad. So the, the, but that was, that was my sweetest anti-diva story, and it made me think that what I'm going to do is I'm going to work with some court interpreting associations, and we're going to start Operation Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> Smuggle hot food into courts for the interpreters, you know. Chicken leg under your trousers. and yeah, th- Throw them a lifeline, right? <laughs> <laughs> throw them some polaments in the brain. <laughs> But I'm glad you started off with an anti-diva uh, story. Because yeah. Even if, even if nobody's willing to speak up, I think we all have a few diva stories in the back of our mind. Yes, we? we all know that you all have one as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just waiting for you to share. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Should we have a word for a male diva? There's so many of them. And Alex. We can, <laughs> <laughs> we, we can come up with one right now. Yeah, That's sure. a good idea. Because we were discussing on Twitter the other day um, about manals, you know, men only panels. Mm. And what would you call um, Voila. A, a, prop, <laughs> yeah, a proper panel, i.e., a gender balanced panel or, um, or an all female panel? And there were some good suggestions. I, I need to look them up because I, I forget. Oh, there you, was some yeah, good stuff. Yes, yeah. so, thing, so, right? so oh. I decided there was one time when we had Corinne McKay and Sarah Griffin Mason on the podcast. Which meant we were almost gender balanced, so it's not a manal, it's a flannel. Yeah, so, so close and yet so far. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's true. Um, so that, there's lots of divas on panels, of course. Um, but I think w- one thing that really turns interpreters into divas is temperature in the booth. Because, I mean, it's, it's difficult, <clears throat> difficult enough already because the booth is such a small, restrained space. And I actually have a few colleagues who are very sensitive when it comes to temperature. Right, Alex? <laughs> no, I was actually no not. I was actually not talking about you. No, but I have a few colleagues, and you know, one of them is like, it's always the, she's the always. It's always too warm, diva, and I have a few others who it's always too cold, divas, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I don't know if that's diva behavior, but I think that's kind of getting there. I'm kind of always cold, but it's not diva behavior. I'm just kind of freezing to death slowly. So I don't know. No, but you're right. Like the whole temperature thing is always kind of. Tricky, especially. I actually had a job in Munich once, and the, I was literally dying. I was sweating so much. It was in the summer, and the sun was just literally shining on the booth. And, you know, there was nothing else that I could take off without it being very inappropriate. And then he was just kind of sitting there, like, tie with a tie and everything, full suit, like, not a bead of sweat. And I was like, jeez, oh, like, what, how, I don't even know what's what's happening. But then I just kind of, I was not a diva. I suffered through it, and I just didn't say anything. And, and I, I thought suffered you just took the feather bow off, and then it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I have the the one thing that I've noticed that gets interpreters really angry. Is anyone familiar with the Incredible Hulk? If you want to yes. see interpreters turn into the Hulk, <laughs> allow your notepad to move onto their side of the booth. That's right, space. That's the, right. the space thing. So, like, there's an invisible line down the middle of the booth. That you're talking about the interpreting space right now. So, my I have a, an interpreter that I often work with called Laura. And it's really funny because you can tell a lot about interpreters by how the booth space is arranged. So whenever there's a German booth, it's always like, you know, the paper's perfect at right <laughs> angles and, and all of the glossaries <laughs> sorted by speech. The Russians going to take their papers out of the, the lovely big black suitcase whenever they need them. Laura, my French booth, everything's blue tacked to the walls. 
<laughs> that's that's the thing, though. Yeah. Is so like she she is um, Miss Bluetack, Missy Bluetack, and it's great because we're so used to just sharing space that we now use we use our notepads to send messages to each other, and sometimes it's just what on earth did he say, and other times it's just help. So <laughs> a notepad is like WhatsApp, but on paper. Is that how it works? <laughs> it's like a tablet that you don't need to turn on. Mm. Wow! So it has per- eternal battery life, basically. <laughs> so, but I, um, I was these actually are such dad jokes that you guys are passing back <laughs> because we're dad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you have any non-dad jokes then? <laughs> Come on. I'm not a very funny person, so no, sorry. Mm, that was it. a humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> so, to, talking about diva things. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I feel like the podcast diva because whenever we record the show. Um, Alex has this thing of sending us the draft version for our comments. Alex yeah. sends like three comments, and they, they're all like, "That's hilarious! That's so funny! <laughs> oh my goodness!" Cut, yeah. There's one or two cut this Very out. Very productive but, yeah. stuff going on there. <laughs> my, comment, me on, you know? my comments are: I didn't mean to say that in public. Can we delete that twenty-five times? That's accurate. Really. <laughs> and the other ten times is like, "This could be controversial." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but another thing I think that can turn some interpreters into divas is working with technicians. Um, so we talked about a little yeah. bit about this when we when we set up everything and because Jonathan used to be which a was sound, very difficult today because technician. today the interpreter is the technician, so it yeah. was kind of tricky to navigate it's kind of that a split personality thing yeah. going on. Yeah, but you know whenever it goes something wrong and the mic doesn't work or the, the you know the booth is too warm or the sound isn't good, then some people can be quite nasty towards technicians. Yeah, I guess. which I don't really get how and and, and why like. Yeah. We can only do our job because this guy is doing our, his job. Yeah. So I actually once had a conference when um, one of the speakers went off stage and he read his speech off his iPhone. So he felt like he needed to charge it. And there's this huge like industry size like plug plugged into like a high voltage power outlet to power all of the booths. And there's like a <laughs> oh, warning no. and there's a warning label above it says do not remove and Don't he, push this button. And he pries off like the duct tape <laughs> to make sure that this stuff stays in there because he was thinking if he plugs his iPhone charger into the high voltage yeah. uh, plug, it's, it's gonna, gonna charge, charge it up faster. real quick. <laughs> and so he rips out the thing and yeah. twelve booths went black. Oh, <laughs> and then the technician was just like he just knocked on our thing and he's like, guys, I've got this, don't worry. And like within two minutes the whole thing was back on yeah. and I was like thank you Jesus <laughs> yeah. for this technician have you tried turning it off and on again <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, the, the, the other thing is I've learned to be wary of bringing my fellow interpreters food because mm. you know you imagine there's food like, that contains garlic stuff like that no, or gluten <laughs> or anything to do with animals yeah. or butter <laughs> Or fat. Or it, I, I've gotten to the point where if I see what's on offer, I will then go back to the booth and say, would you like anything? They have da 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 Because no. you are scared that you'll bring like a, an almond croissant and they'll go, oh, I have an allergy to fresh air. Please don't bring me that. <laughs> we should probably add a few options to the, to the booth hangers. <laughs> like vegetarian, right. gluten-free. But I do think that food is a very touchy subject. The other yeah. week I organized a team of interpreters and they actually sent me feedback. The clients sent me feedback first and said everything was amazing. The interpreters were great. And then the interpreters came back and said everything was shit and the food was horrible and it was literally <laughs> and it was literally the food that the CEO of the company was eating and they were like this was the worst food ever and we yeah. will not go back to this assignment unless we get different catering and I'm like ouch what like who are you <laughs> so 
I don't know. How is food such a touchy thing? I actually I once had a job in Italy and they had freshly made pasta for the crew catering and the Italians complained and everybody else was... So all of the, the, non, the non-Italian interpreters were in love with the food because it was like freshly made uh, tomato sauce and like homemade pasta and it was really great. And they were like, well, this is very bland and basic. <laughs> and it was just kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> do you, do, do you yeah. have do you have any divas in the institutions? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we we don't sweat. We don't. No, but I I, th- I said earlier, temperature seems to be a, a bit of a touchy subject, which is which is strange because we actually have quite. This is not a brag. It's just a statement of fact. We have we have quite nice booths usually. Mm-hmm. We don't have to work in mobile booths too much. So um, I don't know. It's it's weird. I must admit, interpreters in Scotland have become hardened. So. <laughs> No, no, because literally, we, I wonder why that is. We, we have done job. There was one job where there was eight of us on the job, and you know the job's going to go well when the sound tech comes up to you at the start of the day and says, "Before you see your booths, I'd just like to apologise." <laughs> it was, it was in a muddy field outside of a factory, and the best he could do after like all this self-leveling stuff, he said, "Every single booth had a, has a six-inch hole in the back." <laughs> Just call it ventilation and we'll be okay. <laughs> but I thought that's what ventilation is, right? It's, and, it's a and, big hole. In the- and then we got to the second day of the job at a different site and they realized that they couldn't possibly put boots on it because it was ankle deep in mud. Mm. So the eight of us were interpreting off little in-ear headphones plugged directly into an amplifier in a tent. Mm. And everyone was like, oh, what's lunch? <laughs> Scotch pies and bovril. <laughs> It's, it must have been a very authentic experience then. I <laughs> well, we did get to drive dumper trucks at the end of it, which is quite fun. <laughs> oh, the dumpers, the infamous dumpers. Was that the job? Yeah, that, that was the job. Ah. The, the poor German booth we just learned call them dumpers. <laughs> the German for rigid axle, uh, rigid chassis dumper truck, which knowing German probably takes you about three weeks and two sets of weeks to say. <laughs> yeah, like so, so these were saying this, um, you can imagine it's a truck Four days of trucks. He said that a lot. Day four, the German delegation come up and say, we just say Dumper. Yeah. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> so I, I have learned a lesson. You know the interpreters who believe that you should never talk to the clients? They're not very clever. Mm. Always talk to the clients and go, do we really have to say like 56 letters <laughs> of German every time we see a truck? Mm. Yeah, and another thing though with being a diva is, is newbies, right? I mean, new colleagues coming into the booth that seems to spur some people on to to put on their worst behavior. At least, uh, why are you guys looking at me? <laughs> I don't know. It's just sitting over there. Yeah, <laughs> sitting over here trying not to be a diva for once. <laughs> for what? But yeah, maybe I, maybe I can share a story. I, I it's not very funny, but it just shows the diva thing because I. In one of my first assignments, I think I, I was one of the few colleagues back then, that's how old I am, who brought a computer into the booth. And I got space age. I got some sort of indirect bad feedback from a diva kind of colleague that newfangled stuff. In the sense stuff. that oh, yeah. you, you need this like technis, technical yeah. stuff to like be you good? Should just or? focus on the interpreting. That kind of <laughs> ah, well, there yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. How about that? <laughs> how about that? <laughs> I, I have experienced reverse divaism. So. <laughs> I wasn't a newbie at the time. I'd had like six years of experience. And my booth mate had had like 25 Brexit secretaries of experience. <laughs> so, so we're, we're, so we're like doing half a year. <laughs> we're, we're doing this job. Two days, actually. And it just so happened. Does anyone else get really afraid when your booth mate 
just happens to be the world specialist in whatever the job's on, and you've never seen this stuff before in your life. Mm, so yeah. we're doing these complicated technical political workshops, and I, I kid you not, he's like lying back in his chair doing this. <laughs> the, the entire time, like he stretched the mic to him so he could lean back and pretend to to smoke a virtual cigarette <laughs> for his entire shift. My shift, I was holding onto the table, my knuckles going right, going <laughs> yes. And I suddenly realized that everything for him was easy. And I thought, what do I do? So I think we, we need to agree that even if you are the world's expert on linoleum fitting in Estonia, <laughs> treat your booth mate as if they are helpful mm. rather than looking at them and going, so you haven't read the 1985 report? What kind of interpreter are they sending nowadays? <laughs> what do you mean you can't quote Socrates in Greek? So, which actually is really, when you, whenever you're interpreting for a... Does anyone here interpret from French? Yes. Okay. Can someone explain to me why every French speaker has to quote a dead philosopher? <laughs> <laughs> I think it well, just gets beaten into them at school. Yeah, so well, I, I, mean, I mean, literally, this was, this was a kind of diva speaker thing where they were doing an, an industrial safety report of how many people died in their factory that year, which began with, It's like, really? Hell is other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted to touch on one other thing that we've discussed, I think, on social media, but not in the episode, in, in any of the episodes yet, which is um, a bit of a pet peeve, I guess, and that is, is linked to diva behavior, is that some people are, some interpreters are very, very particular about not being called a translator for some reason. Oh, yeah. Didn't you write a nice article about that? Yeah, I might have. Um, Somebody did, I feel. But, but um, did you have any real-life experience of that? Did, did you sometimes have people on your team that... Do you mean like interpreters losing it and just telling the client, don't call me a translator? No, it's not losing it, but sometimes in the booth, you know, when it's your shift, um, some, some people will kind of correct that or will, will actually make an extra point of pointing out, the president just called us translators. Actually, we were Get out. Yeah. They do yeah, that? Yeah, that happens actually. Yeah. Sometimes it's, all, most of the time it's off mic, but sometimes it's on mic as well. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's mortifying. It is. It is. Yeah. Can I confess to being a diva now? Yeah. Okay, We've so, been waiting all this time. <laughs> so, so I have this habit where the chair will say, if they remember that we exist, apart from that one guy who's always waving at the booth. <laughs> does, it, does, anyone else, does anyone else have that guy in like almost every conference? The guy with the headset going... <laughs> it's and, and it's always like it's I don't mind if it's during the chair speech because no one listens to that anyway and it's always about haggis and Kayleys and whiskey it's fine <laughs> but when it's like some complicated technical presentation or when it's during an argument and you've got going eh. but <laughs> at the end of one session the chair said it was like two days of deep sea fishing policy the chair said I would like um, I would like to thank the translators and so when I interpreted that into French I tried changed traducteur into interprète. And my boothmate said to me, can you do that? I went, well, I think I just did. Right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I automatically, when they call us translators, I change it. But you know, if there's a mistake, maybe I should keep it a translator. <laughs> I sometimes do that though. I'm just trying to think, like I don't have a rule of thumb here. Like I don't have like a fixed thing, like I'm always going to do it or I'm never going to do it. I think it kind of depends on is it my wrong? mood of the day, I guess. Is it wrong to add it if they didn't even say it? 
That is wrong. <laughs> the good a, thing is, though, mostly conundrum. you won't have to make that first choice if you're going to actually translate, translate or interpreter. Like, you know, how are you going to do it? Because they're just going to not mention us. They're going to say, and we would, of course, like to thank all the people who made this event possible. The technicians, the flower people, the caterers, everybody behind. <laughs> the and makeup and the cleaners. Thank you, everybody. And you're just like, what? <laughs> awesome. That, that does bring out the diva in me. Has, yeah. has anyone else saved their career because of the mute button? <laughs> the, the mute button is dangerous, though. Yeah. So I'm just waiting for the day until the mute button actually once doesn't work. It may like, have happened already, maybe. It just no, I would have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so we were actually sorry. You'll you'll get to do that, but um, <laughs> there's a special person here who uh, at university taught us to uh, never say certain things uh, using the mute button because it can be very dangerous. Uh-huh. She might not be very proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to name any names here. So um, so I once saved a colleague's career using the mute button, and it's kind of a semi diva story because we were doing. Uh, some very technical construction conference. And to be fair, the presentation that we were interpreting was amazing. To the point that my very experienced booth mate swore loudly in amazement at what was on the screen. <laughs> Thankfully, I was like... <laughs> and so so I think what the audience heard was, and so we moved this piece to... And then... <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the, the mic off button is better. I must admit, I am very much a diva of the the equalizer settings on the console. Oh yeah. So I will spend like five minutes when the other interpreter's working, going, getting the sound just getting right, the treble in the bass, <laughs> and the volume's just right until you have the speaker who holds the microphone down by their hips, mm. <laughs> and you're like, and because I'm a sound trained sound person as well. We were doing a conference and we'd had a lot of speakers holding their mic really low. And we'd gotten used to it and, you know, you, you'd push your vo- volume more and more up in the booth. And then, sorry in advance, Alex, <laughs> speaker came up and went bang, bang, bang on the mic. Mm. I smiled in- outside. I wasn't smiling inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that's not a diva, though. That's just, that would, that would have been <laughs> a natural reaction to yeah. well, somebody I, just... I, I, I almost, your... I almost went up to them and explained why that's not a yeah. good idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I think, and it's also kind of in, in our show notes, which we still have even though we're offline, um, <laughs> there's, there's a great article by Evandro... Magayash. There you go. <laughs> this is teamwork. Audience participation at last does yeah. it first. Well done. You'll get a goodie bag. <laughs> um, and he wrote a great article because he used to be at the... Oh, my God, I'm going to step in it so bad in the UN? So at an international organization. Probably. And uh, he organized yeah. a lot of interpreting teams as the, 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 the staff kind of organizer, sending, out, sending them out into the missions and everything. And he wrote this great article, What Organizing Interpreters Want You to Know. And you're an organizing interpreter. I'm an organizing interpreter. I'm sure, Alex, you're dealing with a lot I'm of not. people. You're, I used to be. You actually. used to be. Mm-hmm. I know that you used to be. And I'm sure that you actually are in, in contact with the people, you know, planning for the trips and yeah. planning for your missions and stuff. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that I don't say to people when I try to book them for a job. And I'm like, hey, I want to send you to South Africa for two weeks. And then all I get back is like 10 nasty emails like, can you answer this? What's the hotel going to be? What's this going to be? And I'm like... <laughs> I just asked you if you're available, first of all. <laughs> like, can we get to all of that other stuff later? And I think oftentimes what people forget is um, 
we still have other stuff going on as well. Like when I'm organizing a team, when I'm organizing a conference, I'm still doing all the other conferences mm. as well. I'm still doing, I'm still organizing other conferences as well. So I'll get to all the information that you want to have, maybe not at the time that you need it right now. And I think a lot of colleagues become real divas when dealing with other colleagues. <laughs> and I don't understand why, because we're kind of all in the same boat. And I feel like mm. we're, we should be more helpful than anything else. You know, it would be really helpful. You've never actually sent me any work, Alex. There's not a lot of stuff going on in Scotland that I'm aware of. <laughs> if there ever is, you'll definitely be my first port of call. So, um, yeah, so I've had a couple of experiences with that. Mostly they've been really good. So I've had to start having a rule where I either work with people that I've already worked with who are good or people they recommend. Because there are sometimes when you really find it risky. It became very difficult, though, when I got an email once saying, can you find 20 specialized pharmaceutical interpreters for a conference over <laughs> 10 different that's languages? That's not a thing. <laughs> and I'm like, how many? Okay, so I mean, I pulled in a lot of favors for that. Um, <laughs> but there was one time where I was asked, does anyone here do court interpreting at any? Right, okay. So I sent an email to, I got an email in from a, a legal client saying, can you find court interpreters? After explaining that wasn't my usual thing. <laughs> I said, okay, eventually we came to the point with, could you deal with it? So I found, went on the, uh, the register and found the three interpreters within 50 miles of their office for the languages they wanted. It was a real language. I sent emails to three interpreters offering them what looked like a guaranteed pre-confirmed job. And I said, can you give me your rates? Uh, can you send me, uh, I think I asked for their rates, uh, their availability, their rates, and could you give me uh, a full quote, including everything, travel the lot, because I was going to talk the client into paying for travel and food. I want a full quote covering everything, but I need it by Monday morning. Okay. How many interpreters do you think wrote back to me out of the three before the deadline? Zero. I got one out of the three. And then <laughs> another, another one wrote back to me, I kid you not, Thursday afternoon, without any, without any sorry or anything, saying, oh yeah, I just got round to it. <laughs> wow so I mean s sadly the, the client with one of these it was one of these lawyers offices where they said you mean we have to pay yeah yeah um, but I think the most important thing for me when I'm organizing is I understand people are always busy probably busier than me sometimes except I have four kids but you know it, <laughs> it, under if the it, age of seven it, if at least <laughs> if you're like working 24 hours a day can we have an autoresponder on your email please yeah. That says I'll get back to you, and it's then can, hard, right? and then can you get back? Um, it, it's the one thing I'm diva about is I always pad deadlines because I know that interpreters aren't the quickest people to write back unless they're desperate for work, in which case they write back to you before you've sent the email. <laughs> 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 and, the, and their quote is, I'll do it for a bag of peanuts, please just give me work. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it, like writing back in good time would be so nice, like before the deadline. So I always give myself padding, knowing that everyone's going to be late. So it'd be nice to get an email before the deadline with everything that we need. I, for that 20 interpreter job, out of the 30-odd interpreters that I ended up emailing, over half didn't get the concept of an all-inclusive quote. <laughs> mm, like, I guess we have some more work to do there. Okay, <laughs> boys. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen. <laughs> do, do we have any other episodes, anything you wanted to share? Maybe we should just do it when the mics are turned off. <laughs> <laughs>
when the everybody could go off record here. Anonymized. Yeah, how how are true. we doing on the bingo? We haven't heard any bingos yet, but maybe we didn't uh, we didn't Ooh. do a good enough job of getting in all the references. Have we not had any bingos yet? We must have gone around to pretty much we everything. We must have now. gone a lot through a lot of stuff, but we got your uncontrollable giggles. We did get those. Yeah, during the we comedian. did get those even before the comedian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oh, we have a bingo. No. Oh, oh, is it a story? How do you neutralize divas? I think it probably huh. depends on how, you know, how up there it is in terms of divaness. It's just a general remark, which is, yeah. um, who's mates unofficially interpreting the languages that you have in your combination? Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. And you've just done a bulk of the stretch of the point where I'm losing it. very difficult to say, of course, I unofficially interpret that language. Yeah. No way. Yeah. How lovely. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I've had those situations, but it was mostly people who were just about to add the language officially anyway, so they were just getting some practice in, and it was fine. But yeah, did yeah. you want to follow up? Diva development. Yeah, Oh yes. Yeah, that bugs me. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I actually I'm controversial with this that I dislike. Hey. <laughs> I, I I I I. Dislike the stopwatch. I actually find the stopwatch in the booth thing to be diva behavior. Certainly, the that way would be the, like the other extreme of what yeah. Sonia just. So, so the, the way it tends to go with the interpreters that I tend to work with is rather than going by exact twenty-five minutes, we'll go. We'll look at the agenda, and everyone knows how many meetings actually adhere to the agenda. Zero. But we'll, we'll look at the agenda and kind of roughly divide it up by speech, and. You know, if you get occasions where you have a French architect who thinks he's a new philosopher, you change shift length. Yep. If, if on the other hand, you have, um, as I had a guy talking about whiskey for half an hour for like 40 minutes, most interpreters who've interpreted in Scotland for more than a minute <laughs> could do an hour of whiskey and not even feel it afterwards. And so I, I get the, you know, we want to interpret roughly the same amount, blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm just warning anyone that if you bring a stopwatch into my booth, it will quickly go missing at the first break and it will never be found again. <laughs> the yeah, tale of right. the missing stopwatch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what do you think? Should we wrap it up? Not to keep people too long before drinks. Yeah, we, we have, can start wrapping because up. Because about doors are technically already open, but in 10 <laughs> minutes... <laughs> Doors will open for real, and people yes. can can come up here as well, and we can go downstairs. Um, so we have a few. I think we got the bingo cover. That's great. Um, <laughs> if you have, if you have any more stories, we can probably discuss them during drinks. So um, 
I think we should just say thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you guys so for coming here. Thanks to all of you. Um, some of you have come from very far away and we really appreciate it. We really and do. Actually, Alex was so nervous when we started this whole thing whether anyone would show up. So I'm, Yeah, I'm I was super. like, who wants to listen to us anyway? And Jonathan got a bit nervous like yesterday. This morning? Yeah. So, so usually when we do episodes, we have Slack open. It's been really weird to do a podcast without like yeah, trying no, to distract them on no Slack. No back channel. That's very um, true. And I spent this morning on Slack saying to the two Alexis, all we've seen is no-shows. Is anyone going to come? Because it would be a really sad party if it was just us and one party popper. <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out just fine. So thanks, everyone, for uh, coming. Thanks again to the Roebuck team. Um, you guys were great. And this is a really lovely Thank location. You. And this is the point where we move on to drinks. Actual, to more drinks. To yeah. more drinks. And we have prepared a little bit of a conversation starter, I think. We Alex. have, yes. Yeah. We prepared a little bit of a conversation starter. Not that you need it or anything, yeah. but, you know. The conversation starter, if you guys want to stick around, is your secret life. So what cool stuff do you do in your free time that isn't interpreting? And actually, we didn't really come up with that. It was also this fabulous colleague, Sonia, yeah. over there, we, who we, came up with This was not our idea. We stole this from Sonia. <laughs> we stole it from her blatantly, but we're giving credit. So yeah. there it is. <laughs> After the stand-up comedian, I'm really worried about what people are going to say now about what they're doing. Right? <laughs> okay, so thanks everyone and give yourselves a, a warm round of applause and thank you for coming. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. Right. <laughs>